Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. It's just me and Dave here tonight. We've got our wine. Hello, Dave. Uh, yeah. yeah, we thought you might be missing us, so yes. we just do a little... We just really haven't had enough shows this week. <laughs> I don't want to go. I know what you mean. <laughs> so anyway, yes, we're going to be talking more Doctor Who tonight. Kidding, kidding. We're going to give you a break from who. And we're going to review Day of the Triffids. Yeah, let me just uh, put you in the picture. Here in the UK, um, one of the uh, recent um, miniseries, you could call it, has just gone out. And it's been the 2009 remake of Day of the Triffids. That's the John Wyndham 1951 uh, book of the same name. It was also done as a uh, a drama in 1981, and <clears throat> we will be talking about mainly the new series that was a two uh, in two parts. Went out on the 28th and 29th of December 2009. Gosh, how how long ago does that seem? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it went out uh, two uh, episodes of one and a half hours each. The the one that went out in uh, 1981 was in half hour episodes, uh, six half hour or well, six 26 minute ones. And um, we may refer to that as well. So we will be in spoiler territory, certainly for the 2009 one. Um, and I should just say as well that um, if you aren't able to get that from, you're not based in the UK, are can't easily get the new day of the triffids you can get the 1981 series because it's available on youtube um do you have the reference for that ian or is it it's just the bbc leader uh, isn't it yeah it is uh if you look uh bbc worldwide tv it's actually a a, a subscription channel on there uh but yeah if you just go on there and look for day of the triffids uh, you should actually find it on there. I've tried looking for more information on the, the channel itself on YouTube, but um, every time I click on it, it says uh, uh, this channel not available. But the videos are there, um, and I'm actually up to episode four. I'm taking a trip down memory lane. 
Well, let me just help you with that memory lane, because before I play, um, and we're spoilers from now on, folks, before I play a little midway resume of the uh, Day of the Tributes 2009, let me just play you the very short opening sounds of the 1981 TV series, because they are iconic. If you like, um, uh, well, like Ken, as I know, loves the uh, the tripods music, which is so distinctive. This was really classic science fiction opening. And it's just sounds. There's no talking. Here we go. And that's just uh, overlaid over a pit. Is it two people staring up at the sky? It's uh, two, two or three people uh, staring up at the sky uh, because in the original story, the uh, inhabitants of the planet Earth are all um, they all go blind because of a uh, it's a it's not a meteor show. It's a, it's I believe it's a comet. Um, and there's, of course, uh, debris from the comet, which was creating a light show in the Earth's atmosphere, which uh, they guess after long exposure, looking at it, it, uh, it, it sends the population who were watching it blind. Yes, because it, it's, it's taught up by scientists as, you know, a once in a life ex time experience, you know, the greatest light show on Earth and so on. So that gets vast numbers of people out and it's so prolonged that, uh, you know, as the Earth turns, as it were, all parts of the world uh, at some point in time see it. But um, the, the the idea of the Day of the Triff is, is that it's basically two stories because there's the actual appearance and development of the Triffids themselves. Uh, and we'll play a little clip for that in a moment. But it's this second event uh, and the two, it's a little bit like... Um, well, awful to say, but it's a little bit like these terrorist bombers now where you take two liquids on board the plane. It's only when they mix that um, disaster happens. So let me uh, play you without any further ado. Uh, this is the recap that they played at the beginning of the second part of the 2009 series. And it should give you an insight into Day of the Triffids. It had been 30 years since my mother was killed by a Triffid. She was trying to understand them. I've been doing the same ever since. Hello, I'm Joe Platon, coming to you from the heart of London. What do Triffids always do for the United? Ah! Dr. Clutch, it's me, Bill Mason. What's happening? This is an emergency broadcast from the BBC. Most of the people in the world have been struck blind. There is no government. These people have every right to live. Over there, house. I'm Thomas. Yeah, there's a bit of panic about Triffids. Triffids are carnivorous plants that can move. Their most abundant source of food is ice. I've got to get to my father's place in Sherman. We're going to work out how to deal with them. You've got to get to Sherman, with or without me. Mason, you're under arrest! Being taken up to the heat. It's all torrents. It's run the whole show now. It was a vicious attack. He's dead, Joe. 
Okay, well, it fairly whips along this story, and, and, and that might be one of the things that both Ian and myself have a little bit of criticism to level to it. I should right. have also said at the start that uh, when it premier, uh, premiered in the UK, as well as being on BBC One, um, it was also on BBC High Definition. So it really was a, a sort of a little flagship show. Uh, flagship show. Oh, I shouldn't say that this time of night. Event TV, <laughs> as they say in the US. Right. And um, um, the BBC have been quite good at doing that recently. We, it's not long since we um, had the Jekyll series, which uh, very appropriate because, of course, that was uh, Stephen Moffat who wrote that. And uh, we've been talking on the Culton Collective uh, quite recently about um, the changeover, the handing over of Russell T. Davis to uh, Stephen Moffat in the new Series five of Doctor Who, which will be starting uh, in the spring of this year. So, Ian, do you want to talk about the opening? Or do you want to give any background or um, well, just set um, the scene? Yeah, as I said, uh, I, I grew up with. I, I have not read the book. I have to admit, but I did grow up watching uh, the original Day of the Triffids, not the movie. Yes, because I know there was a movie before based on it, but it was a Hollywood thing. So. Uh, I, I grew up on the 80s series and have recently, uh, as I said earlier, uh, started watching it again just to kind of refresh my memory and give a fair comparison to uh, between this one and, and and the 80s version. The thing that bothers me about this one is it just seems so rushed. And the funny thing is, is looking at uh, the episodes on YouTube, there is just as much footage screened in in both uh, they both mm. take up the same amount of time but it doesn't give that impression when watching it in in two settings uh, like they did with uh, the most recent update it it tends to go along at a heck of a clip and you end up wondering how they're getting from place to place it just goes too quickly and and things just happen too fast uh, and I'll talk more later on on the comparisons between the two and what I've discovered in in going back and watching it. But to this one, there's the Triffids are well realized. I mean, more so than they could have been in in the '80s one, just because of technology these days. They're put in there completely by CGI. And one of the great things about the first part is that you don't really see the Triffids. You just catch a little glimpse of something moving out of the corner of your eye. Uh, you you hear something off in the distance. You don't really see them full force until uh, the beginning of the second episode, which I thought was well played because a lot of a lot of times something like that, a monster or some kind of creature or the main enemy, should be hidden for as long as possible. You shouldn't really see it until absolutely necessary. Uh, which is something that they do great in Doctor Who as well. You don't usually see the enemy until you know, later on in the plot, and it, it gives you that extra reveal. Yeah. The char- uh, Sorry, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that um, th- there's quite a little bit of uh, background at the beginning because, of course, um, the the new version has a sort of ecological um, background to it because... Um, the reason for having the triffids and having them in these farms is that they're a source of oil and it's a source of oil that um, helps to alleviate the, the 
the problems of global warming. So um, they are, it, it mentions at one point that there are like 100 triffid farms in the UK with, with each with 10,000 triffids in. So, uh, but they're, they're out based outside the country, sort of out of sight, out of mind. Um, they um, are used for the, the oil, but there's, there's, as far as the general public aware, no downside to them. They're actually, you know, um, uh, a miracle salvation in terms of having this plentiful s supply of oil. And of course, because they are living creatures, renewable uh, sources of oil. Um, uh, but there are some further updates. Um, they, they, they make um, a little bit more of a play about um, how um, the, well, for instance, the, the main character who drives the plot in this is Bill Mason, uh, and he's played very ably by Doon Ray Scott, Doug Ray Scott is it, and um, it's himself and the meeting with uh, Joe, that um, played by Joel uh, Richardson, who in actual fact is um, one of the sisters in the, uh, one of the Richardson acting family. A mother is in actual fact Vanessa Redgrave, who also makes an appearance uh, later in the story. Right. Um, but there's there's very much um, an update to it. For instance, the actual uh, thing that turns people um, blind is not um, something in the night sky. It's actually a solar flare, and um, uh, they're told that you know it's harmless and you can go out and watch it and so on. And of course. This is where the whole balance of power is um, is transferred. Right. Bill Mason, prior to that, and let me just um, play a little clip because one of the things he's doing is at the um, the plants. Um, there's the it intercuts the story with um, uh, a sort of nightmare that he has because both his mother and father were involved in that, and I'll let Ian explain that in a moment. But let right. me just play the the testing part one of the clips early on in the story for me it's always been personal for the rest of the world the triffids were simply a practical solution they contained an oil that quickly replaced fossil fuels triffids became man's best friend but they didn't see the consequences and I couldn't get them to listen. We're disconnecting this Trifford. Confirmed. Trifford tether deactivated. Dr. Mason, you're clear to start your reaction test. You trying to get something else out of the troops, Dr. Bill? Well, yeah. I suppose I am. You really think they can actually hear? Or like they can feel sound waves. Time. If it is going faster with every new generation, seem to be evolving on their own. Uh, Lucy. Yeah. Taser. Oh, sorry. Alrighty. Now, the background story in this, which I'm not entirely sure whether I like as, as much as the original, uh, but. Uh, Bill Mason's parents were in, um, I think it's somewhere in Africa. They were in a foreign country anyway, where they discovered these triffids. And 
Bill's mother was trying to understand them as plants because, of course, they can walk around and they appear to communicate with each other through uh, gyrations in their in their uh, in the the what are they called the little whips that are inside them and they appear to communicate and so she's uh, trying to study them and while they are studying them, Bill's father discovers that they contain this oil which could be of great use if they manage to genetically uh, and re-engineer them to a certain extent uh, and so he does some genetic tests which his wife's supposed to but while they are there uh, a trifid kills his mother and is apparently about to kill him but he is saved and it's through these flashbacks that we learn how he made his escape from from the hut that they were living in but more about that later the original storyline uh was that the 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 oil does exist i mean it exists in the book as well but not to the extent that it's used here they they use it as a a, a global warming thing which is well played i mean it it puts it into in today's world which which works out uh but there was mention of it in the original uh, the original series and yeah. in the book where they talk about it, it was superior to existing vegetable oils um, but I'm not sure to what extent in the book that it's said that it could be used as an additive and fuel and could cut down on you know so many emissions and things like that but the reason for triffids spreading across the world is because uh, one of the men carrying some triffid seeds on the way back to uh, the Soviet Union, the plane was shot down, and so these seeds got scattered, and so triffids start popping up in you know gardens and things like that. So it's a slow progress. Uh, but yeah, that's the backstory in this one. I'm not sure if I like it as much as the original. Yeah, but also in the original, uh, it wasn't so much the global warming, as you said, it, it was the fact that resources, they were, they were more worried at that point that the oil reserves were running out. I mean, right. uh, <clears throat> we now find uh, uh, oil, you know, under the seabed. I mean, mm. that was not retrievable uh, when the book was written. So the, the existing known supplies then had been projected to run out in 20 years or so on, right. because of course they never thought they would be able to extract the oil in these more remote and, uh, you know, in Alaska and so on. Um, the other thing that we ought to clear, make clear, it was known that they were, um, um, they, they, they fed on uh, rotting carcasses and things like that. They actually were carnivores. Uh, but of course, um, in the, the book and in the film and in this adaption, the actual amount of um, mobility that they had seems to vary somewhat because th there's some indication in the early stories that um, the, the, the shower, the meteor shower or whatever it was, not only blinded humans, but seemed to give the triffids uh, more skills. I mean, the, there's a, a Kew Gardens uh, episode in the in the TV movie uh, where after that, it seems to suddenly allow the triffid to develop its intelligence more and move and so on. Right. But in the particular version that we are now talking about, 2009, um, Bill Mason has always known that, um, uh, and I think it's referred to in the, the, the uh, 1981 one, 
right. a colleague says to him, you know, uh, if we lost our sight, they'd be the dominant species. Mm. That's the only thing right. that really sets um, us uh, mastery over them. Right. And the the other one I liked from from the eighties version was uh, that they're talking about their intelligence. And he says, well, you know, it, it wouldn't really put them above us. And it's like, well, how much intelligence do you need? You take away – look at how hard it is for us to feed ourselves. We need to you know, go out and grow the food and cut down the food and cook the food so we can eat the food or process it or anything. All the Triffid needs to do is kill us, and then there's the food. It doesn't need to to use tools. I mean, a lot of the development of our brain is been there soon from uh, you know the first monkey breaking nuts and so on and and, and becoming a tool using animal. Right. Let me uh, play another clip at this um, point, shall I? Then. Okay. light show ever, northern light seen as far south as Hawaii, a veritable rainbow of comets. But is it another result of the global cooling Triffid scientists have been boasting about or something else? With me is astrophysicist Edward Vorlis. Welcome, Professor. So tell me, do we have the Triffids to thank for the fireworks too? Oh, we can certainly thank the Triffids, or at least their marvelous oil for saving us from global warming. But the fireworks, no. So what is the cause? The sun. Tonight we will see its true power. It will unleash a solar storm, an unbelievably vast explosion of gas and nuclear fire that will send billions of tons of irradiated plasma shooting towards the Earth. And is there any risk to us, any precautions we should take? Only if you are a satellite. We humans will suffer no harm. We should sit back and enjoy the fireworks. Well, thank you, Professor. Okay, and of course that's the the lady talking is uh, Joe. That um, uh, her and Bill meet up. She's actually out and about. She goes out uh, reporting on this uh, lights, but um, she uh, uh, the her director says, well, what about the people you know in the underground, people not outside, and so. He sends it, of, yeah, he sends yeah. her off to, to interview people who aren't watching it. Why aren't they watching it? So, And so when she's down there, that's why, you know, I think there's uh, some kind of accident. She gets knocked out. And, uh, yeah. And, of course, we should uh, uh, tell you that um, uh, Bill at this point, um, quite early on, he, he receives uh, a small injury, uh, a, a slight whiplash to the side of his face that threatens his eyesight and you know, is sort of temporarily blinded. So he, of course, um, uh, in the 1985 one, uh, 81 one, of course, it actually starts with Bill lying in hospital, wondering why the nurse isn't coming to undo his bandages. But um, we have this preliminary part of the story uh, in this one. Right. And again, it's it's a matter of comparison, but I think what we should do is we should plot log and 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 um, review the new one in its entirety because I keep wanting to lapse back to the old one and <laughs> and, and, and do these comparisons because I've just got it fresh on my mind. Yeah, the the the, the main cast did a, a really good job, I think. Uh, it was well acted. I mean, even Eddie Izzard. Uh, well, I think we ought to just explain a little bit about him as well, yeah. because uh, that was a spectacular scene in it. I mean, it was certainly a, a, a well-budgeted uh, episode. Right. Uh, do you want to say about him flying back? 
Oh yes, um, we get introduced to Eliezer's character uh, Torrent when um, when the thing opens and, and and everybody in the he's on an aeroplane flying back from we don't know where um, from doing we don't know what, which is one of my pet peeves is we have Ooh. no we have no background information on him, just what we learn from this opening scene, in which people are looking out the window and he's trying to sleep on the plane and he's got those little uh, that little mask on, so we can't, you know, because so the light yeah. doesn't keep him awake. So he's laying there catching some shut eye while everybody else is looking out at this uh, this light show. And of course, everybody goes blind, including the pilots. And he wakes up as the the plane is uh, um, near to crashing. Yeah, near, near to crashing, which I, I I found that a little unbelievable too. If all the pilots went blind you're not even going to be able to see the instruments. So I, I, I found it a little difficult to believe they didn't go down a lot quicker. And uh, it, it seemed to go down quite easy, quite flat, you know. It seemed well, to no, I can land. see that because it, it, certainly in the UK, basically planes, the first 30 seconds, the pilot flies it. And the last 30 seconds, he flies it. Right. The rest of the time, it's on autopilot. True. But anyway, uh, the, the way they introduce his character, and by character I mean what the man's made of, <laughs> is that he realizes that everybody's blind and decides that he's going to try and survive. So he's pushing his way to the, uh, to, to the bathroom and grabs a whole lot of uh, the life vests, shuts himself in the bathroom, inflates all the life vests, and hunkers down for the crash. In doing so, pushes past all of these people, including uh, a, a small child. And that is supposed to indicate the fact that, that Terence is all out for himself. And that's where I had the problem, is that that's what we're supposed to rely on for evidence of his character. And it's just not enough. It wasn't enough. They needed more. We needed to see where where he was before he got on the plane. You needed to see a, a few more instances of him being, and excuse my French, a bastard. Because that's <laughs> what he is in this. He is. He's out for himself. He wants to be king of all uh, at, any, at any cost. And he does a great job of it. It's just, it's just unfair that he wasn't given the backstory to have pulled this off and I don't think it's uh, Eddie's fault I think Ed, Eddie Azar did a, a, a marvellous job with the character you hated him um, and that's that's the way it should be and you know it's his, yeah. that's the success he's smarmy and he's controlling and manipulative and it's fabulous but you know it, there just wasn't enough backstory to find out where this man came from and you really needed it and the same with Josie uh, you didn't really know where she came from. You knew she was a, a broadcaster, but so? Yeah, well, two things there. One, one um, the Torrance character reminded me a little bit uh, of Kevin Costner's character in The Postman, where basically he's a nobody, and through accident, you know, he gets elevated. I mean, I, I don't know whether you've seen that film, but no. uh, it's a apocalyptic program but it's called the postman okay. um, and um, joe's character reminds me a little bit of the um the the uh, tv presenter in the um or oh, the other disaster with uh, morgan freeman as the president um uh, yeah, i know which one you mean the the the, the, the end yeah. of the world one yeah the one uh, impact 
impact. Yeah, uh, deep impact. Deep impact. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that's that. That reminded me of her character. But um, the, there's other one, two other things that we, we, we know about Torrance. First of all, he's oblivious to all the, the mayhem because this plane crashes right down in central London, very well realised on camera. And um, he sees this little fluttering leaflet that he picks up and it's an advert for a play. And it's um, come of the time, come of the man which is to do with the life story of Winston Churchill. Right. And you can almost see, you know, a light bulb go off in his head. Right. You know, this is this is an opportunity for him, right. you know, to do whatever he wants. Right. And that, that seems... also, that also, um, and, and now that you say that, you say, I didn't know what that meant, which is, I mean, it's okay for a British TV show to, to do that. Um, but unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears for me. But it explains later on when he's at, at number 10, and there is the picture of, of Churchill hanging on the wall after yeah. he's successfully got himself into a position of power, and he's standing there staring at the, the portrait of Churchill on the wall. So, sorry. Yeah, didn't mean to yeah no, you're right. Because he, he doesn't like anybody else, like uh, the Omega Man in that, you know, go and stay in the poshest hotels and right. shops. He goes to number 10 and thinks, well, I'll walk in here. Yeah. He'll take charge. Um, and there's, there's one scene which I think they could have done slightly better to define his character. Uh, there's a policeman down on the ground and he notices that he's carrying a gun. Now, in the UK, you might just <clears throat> not be aware from wherever you're listening from, but um, guns aren't that easy to come by, thank God. Uh, so, uh, but the point is, this policeman is an armed policeman, as some of them are. And, of course, he... he he takes the gun off the policeman. I think it would have actually been even better if this policeman was sort of not completely dead and sort of as as he is hard is trying to take the gun, you know, right. has enough wherewithal to try and stop him. And then Eddie Izzard just kicks him in the teeth and right. grabs the gun. I think that would have, mind you, that might have been overboard. But um, right. The the yeah. the only character that was really fully realised was was Bill Mason, which is great because he's the lead character. He's what the plot revolves around. He's the only one who's really concerned about uh, the threat of the Triffids, uh, which, I mean, the public in this version of the story are completely unaware of how dangerous they are, um, and from what they've been told in media and everything, they're completely harmless, and it's just great that we're getting this oil from them. But yeah. uh, the, the the other characters could have done with a little more. There's and and I said I wasn't going to do this till the end, but I'll <laughs> I'll do this now. The difference between the um, Josie characters and uh, in, in, in each version is, and it's and it's almost a throwaway line in the '80s version, but it really kind of does the plot justice. Uh, they go to. In both versions, they go to uh, her father's house and find out that the father is dead. And you discover that uh, she's fairly well off. You don't really kind of get that impression from the 90s version. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the 2000 version. But there's a scene later on in the 80s version where they're sitting down to eat in in a place that they're holed up in and he says well give me your give me your story give me your history and she says i'd rather not i'd rather just know you from now i don't want to judge you on what you were before and i hope you wouldn't judge me on what i was before which 
Yeah, it's a bit. Of, I mean, you could look at it as a bit of a cop out, but it actually it rings true because all they have is each other, and so what's the point in going back in time and saying, "Well, this is what I did. I, you know, I've done this and I've done that," yeah. um, and th- that's what makes me, you know, likable and everything. It's like because it doesn't matter. They're in a position now where the world is a much different place, and they've got to look at, to each other to survive. And and it does it does it very very well and and here you just don't get that that information from her. They go to the, the the father's house and that's it. That's all you really ever learn about her apart from the fact that she used to be a broadcaster. Yeah, well, you've, I'll I'll have to say what I was going to say at the end now because you've even <laughs> used the word that links into it, survivor. Because um, here in the UK, the second series of Survivor starts yes. on uh, Tuesday. Tent. 12th of January. 12th? I uh, thought it was the 10th. I'm sorry. Well, I, 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 I can't double check it at the moment, but um, <laughs> please don't miss it on my behalf. Right. Check on the 10th, but I think it's the 12th. Uh, and of course, uh, in the first series, one of those characters we see come out of jail, uh, but nobody else knows he's a, you know, a jailbird, as it were. And he turns out to be one of the greatest assets in the group, because when people try and harass them and all that, he takes no nonsense. Right. He's, uh, he's the muscle. He's used to dealing with people in that regard. Yeah, and he doesn't get. He doesn't. He won't get intimidated. The others will say, "Hand over the food. Hand over the food." He said, "No, give him once," right. and he knows how to deal with these people. So that's, um, that's actually a prime example of how Torrance should have been portrayed. If uh, any of you are familiar with the 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 up-to-date version of uh, Survivors. His story, his beginning story before everything breaks out is perfect and how Torrance should have been treated in in a similar regard. Uh, Those who haven't seen it, uh, this guy's character escapes from the the, the prison guard, unlocks the cell and kind of tells him that everybody's dead or dying. And and he says, well, you better come out and give me a hand to, to do this and that. And he ends up basically killing the warden. I mean, you don't see it, but you know that's what he did. You assume he's been a sadistic warden. Yeah, uh, and so he gives him what for, and it it just really supplants what kind of a guy this is. You know that he he he, he did him in, uh, whether he was good or bad or otherwise, he did him in, and and that's that's the great part of it. It really kind of sets the tone for that character. Um, yeah. But yeah. But uh, do Gray Scott? I mean, it was all well acted. I don't have any problem with any of the acting in it. It was all well done with what they had to work with. Yeah, uh, and as you say, some. Uh, I'll just play another clip. I'm going to skip okay. a few of the the clips, but this is to um, this is just to give you an idea of some of the panic that was involved in some of the fairly early scenes. Right. Can you see? My camera. I don't understand what's happened. We can't see. Nobody can. Oh, oh, oh. Um, have you heard any news? The TV and radio went up. But if there were more people like you... What do you mean like me? Come home with us. Please. I'd like to. Please. Can you see first? Can she see? Can you? I have to get home myself. I... Come with me. Help me. Hold on. Let go of me. Help me first. Then you can go. I'll help you, all right? I know her voice. She's on the radio. I mean it. It's Joe Payton. She's getting away. Joe? Where is he going? 
difference between the 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 81 version and this one they made it absolutely clear in the 1981 version there were there were two groups of people there were the, the one group that thought right basically we can't save society we can't save everybody um, and what the uh, the same thing happens in both stories um late at night um uh, from a, a, a tall building they fire a signal or rockets or something and the idea is all these sighted people will see that and the idea is that they will then gather uh, and start a nucleus then there are other group of people you know who think you know oh the humanity of it all and uh, we can't let these people go if one sighted person looks after so many and and that is what drives the force and thirdly there's the bill mason character who thinks you think you've got problems just wait, because, of course, what happens uh, and we haven't perhaps clarified that well, is that when society breaks down, all the power station break down and the things that have made the Triffid farms work is being this sort of uh, electrical stimulation or whatever it is that 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 makes the Triffids immobile and keeps them locked on the farms. And he's worried that, you know, how long will the power last? Because he knows that the Triffids, uh, if nobody's there, if all the carers are there, there's nobody to feed them uh, and they will eventually break loose. And since they're basically spaced out all over the country and in every country, soon the whole world will be overrun with people who can't see. Uh, and it's just a total disaster. And that's, and I think perhaps we ought to move on a bit because we're we're going long already and um, this is where i think you wanted to mention a little bit more about his father as well right um in the second part they uh they go in search of bill mason's father which the uh bill hasn't seen him in a long time he doesn't even know if he's he's still alive but he knows he's got this uh large house and he wants to go see his father because his father was one of the people who worked on genetically enhancing the quality of the oil uh, by enhancing the triffids themselves and was one of the people responsible for bringing them to the farms and, and setting up the whole system. Uh, and the reason why he hasn't seen his father in a long time is he decided to follow his mother's research and try and figure out how intelligent the triffids were and 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 why they even needed intelligence and how they communicated and this of course set the two of them at, at you know opposite ends and therefore he doesn't talk to him but now he needs his help because he wants to see if there's a way of of, of killing them on mass as it were you know in a, in a large group and so they they start most of it is uh Bill trying to get to his father throughout the whole uh, the whole of the miniseries, but of course each each time they go somewhere they're captured by somebody. I think he gets knocked out about ten times throughout the, <laughs> the, the, the three three and a half hours, um, which is a little hard to believe. But with uh, it, but they use that to show these flashbacks as well. Right, yeah, uh, and of course the flashbacks are yet another problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
But so he gets to his father's house and they work on a plan to uh, make basically all the Triffids uh, sterile. Um, they have a female captive and they plan to genetically re-engineer her so that all the spores she puts off um, will make all the other Triffids um yeah, it was a Not bit woolly, that, wasn't it? It was. It's like, uh, wouldn't you have a male that could seed? I don't know. It, 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 it's all French yeah. to me. But... And, and just before that point, I should have mentioned that they do meet up with two children, one of which is Susan, um, which is a character that is both in the movie and in the early one. The... the um, but there's two children here that, right. that basically have survived all this time on their own uh, and they adopt Bill and Joe as their parents. Right. Um, but so they hang out at, at uh, the father's house for what I'm gathering is quite some time because there is scenes in there where it is snowing. And then when they're at the house, the the garden is quite green and lush looking. So, but of course during the miniseries there is never any indication of the passage of time which is another one of my pet peeves uh we see i think two or three nighttime scenes and so i don't know if we're supposed to believe that this took place over the course of like two or three days or two or three weeks two or three months or a year um yeah that's that's the part that that really kind of bugs me it's easy enough to put you know, six months later down at the bottom of the screen and progress the story on from there. We don't know how long Bill's been apart from Joe. Uh, we don't know, you know, how long it's taken him to get to his father. Yeah, so. in between them reaching this point, we should say that, you know, we do we do have slight contacts with what Torrance is doing, who who's actually organising basically um, uh, mob rule, a sort of mafia type uh, collection of thugs uh, in London. Um, he uses Joe at one point. Um, he gets her to go on the radio. This is earlier in the story uh, to sort of tell people to come to London. But she at some point realizes that um, he's 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 not got society's needs at heart, and she she escapes to rejoin Bill. Uh, Coker is very underutilized, and that's played by uh, Jason Priestley, who's right. uh, nine one. Beverly Hills nine zero two one zero. Yeah, yeah. So um, his his uh, uh, characterization is not really made much of in this uh, no. it, it, he has a story of his own where he he finds that there is a um a development going on in the isle of white uh, the idea being that um if if they can decamp to this island um it's um a manageable area where you know they can kill all the spores or you know uh, you know clear it i think in the original book that you know they use flamethrowers or whatever it is to right. to clear it and so on so there, there's all that um now we've been going some time here we're not trying to give you a blow by blow account okay. of this so i'll play just one more clip okay. and then perhaps both ian and myself will give you what we feel is um a rating on it yeah <sighs> Triffids are carnivores. You eat people. Did you know him? No. No. 
He's the idiot who let them out. Oh, no. Not Lucy. She fought. She was blind, but she fought. I'm sorry, was she your... She was my friend. You people knew. You knew that they were dangerous, and yet it never got out. Triffid Oil saved the world from global warming. You think it would have made any difference if you had known? Yeah, that was from slightly earlier, but uh, it, it all leads up to this um, fairly climactic scene um, at uh, Bill's father's house. And um, I don't think we really need to, 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 to go all the way to the end of the story because no. um, we want people to actually go and watch it. And yeah. do you want to rate the two different ones uh, or not? Well, so far, I'm, I'm as I said, I'm uh, up to episode four in the, the 80s version and I'd well recommend it. Uh, it's 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 worth having a look at. I think it goes, it does a better job of telling the story. It may be a little old as far as effects go, and you've got to realise that it was in a different time. The one of the problems with it, or one of the differences that I see, is that you don't see a lot of people on the streets, uh, which you'd think that there would be more people roaming around going help help you know which you have in the in the 90s uh in the in the 2009 version i keep wanting to say the 90s yeah. but it's not it's the 2009 <laughs> version it's probably the wine um <laughs> they kind of do a better job at that but uh, on the other hand not so much either um because i'm not sure how many people would actually be just roaming the streets like that uh and again well, well, they do right. cover the passage of time more there. So, I mean, there are right. not so many people, but we know that months have actually passed. Right. One, of, one of the things that's that's done um, uh, in the in the beginning, uh, when uh, in the in the 80s version, when they he comes across uh, a sighted girl who runs into her house and he's talking with a, a man there, and it's and it's a lot of exposition. It's like you know how widespread is this and and everything. Um, but and it's played well by by Stephen Yardley. He's I've always liked him. He's always had little bit parts, but he's always been he's, fab- he's fabulous. He's been in Doctor Who as well, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's fabulous. And he says, "Well, you, oh, you wouldn't see many people out. They're like us. We woke up this morning and we couldn't see, so we're staying put till somebody comes and you know helps us out." You know, and of course you know, they're sitting there, and they don't know what's going on. They just think, oh, it's it's just us, or and then so they, you know, they'll call the neighbor and find out that they're, but they're not gonna, they're not gonna go just blindly wander, you know, blindly. <laughs> they're not just gonna go running out into the street. And so, it, it in a way, for the '80s version, it it made sense the way they described it, and it was, of course, exposition, but well done. Um, just because it's old. Don't yeah. don't throw it away and go. Oh, I'll watch the new one because it's got better looking effects. Effects don't make the show. Um, I think the Eddie's version did a much better go yeah. with the story. But that said, also watch the updated one. It's got some great acting. The Triffids look really really good. I, I did like the Triffids. Uh, there was a certain amount of menace to them, um, although 
I found them lacking in a bit of intelligence. But that could just be because they were CGI rather than practical effects. Uh, but yeah, well acted. Uh, a nice little event. I mean, my wife and I sat there and watched it, and we watched it all the way to the end. So that says something. It wasn't a matter of, oh, well, I've watched the first part. I might as well watch the second part. We genuinely wanted to know, you know, how does this all play out? So uh, I'm and, just being very, very nitpicky, that's all. <laughs> and, and like we often say with Doctor Who, you know, not all the monsters are alien creatures. Uh, I mean, the, we, we've barely mentioned the Vanessa Redgrave character oh, yeah. who she plays like um is it a mother superior of a, right. a home that, that for some time uh, Bill uh, goes to and um, Bill and Coker I believe it is because uh, right. uh, they escape and uh, this woman is a real heartless woman uh, right. I don't know where you want to go into uh, her, I was, I was trying, to, trying to decide whether to reveal it or or, or let, not. let people leave some mystery yeah yeah um, but yeah they, they find uh, shelter at a at a monastery or a nunnery or whatever it is, uh, run by a mother superior, and so it's uh, a very interesting little segment. Uh, yeah. Even though it, 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 again, it's it's all down to the pacing. I think this would have been miles better had they done it like Torchwood Children of Earth, and oh, done yeah. it over five nights. Spent a little more time on on the storyline as opposed to, you know. Uh, all these vast effects of you know scanning the horizon and looking over the city and and all these things going on. Um, I think that would have really worked. I mean, right. it was two uh, two one and a half hours, three hours, right. but five one hour episodes. I think would have made it. Uh, well, it would have raised it right up to that level. I mean, it, one one of the shows that you raved about mm. Ian is Jekyll. Now right. that that went over. Was it five or six episodes? And that had that depth. You know, there was layer upon layer upon right. layer. Even even as far back as 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 the last the last train, that oh. that gave you a sense. Even though I watched it episode after episode within a, a couple of nights, uh, it it was in, in itself it was a mini series as well. I think it was eight episodes. Uh, not something sure. of that order. We, right. I haven't got time to check now, but right. yeah. But it was another one of these journey type things. They went, they started off, and they, and it was post-apocalyptic as well. And but things are done better when they're broken down like this. I, I don't think this really worked. It's like they said, well, let's make a movie. Uh, no, we don't have enough money for a movie. We'll, we'll do a TV show. Okay, we'll just do it in two parts then. And, and it didn't really work. Um, they only had one cliffhanger where you could have had several. Uh, there was enough um, <laughs> There was enough of Bill Mason being knocked out where you could have had plenty of, plenty of cliffhangers. <laughs> um, but yeah, give them both a good look. I mean, I'd be interested, We uh, and that we will come to at the end, uh, Dave and I will be doing a uh, full Coltum Collective review of Day of the Triffids, plus another show by the name of Paradox, uh, later on, and they will give us a date out at the end. But yeah. Dave, if you want to give your wrap up, because I've nattered on long enough. 
Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one one more piece of the jigsaw I should just mention that this Torrance character who is a real, you know, Mafia Wars type person. He's taking a fancy to Joe. So when she does escape, he doesn't leave it at that and think I'll get some other minion to do my work. Um, you know, he pursues them as well. And that's another line of the story that brings it all to uh, you know, a big climax. And one other thing is um. The, the, I think I only saw one fault. I think Ian picked it up the same as I did. Uh, when they go see Bill's father, he's meticulous. Well, he apparently is meticulous <laughs> about protecting his land from the Triffids with this electrical fence around it. And he warns the young girl, Susan, you know, uh, no, be careful, you know, it's electrified. Then they all troop in and he leaves the gate open. Couldn't believe yeah, it. They don't actually show you... Um... I mean, uh, apparently it happens off camera, but you yeah. never see him actually close the gate because each each strand of the fence is held by a clip, and so he uncl- he turns the fence off. The switch is on the outside. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's no like remote control. It's like okay, this is the year 2009. You'd think he'd have a little beeper where he could go burp, burp, and turn the damn electric fence off, but no. There's a switch which faces the outside, and triffids are supposed to be relatively intelligent, so you'd think yeah. they'd figure that out. But no. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was about the only flaw in it. So right. yeah, I, I I enjoyed it, but I absolutely take on board your point. A five day, one hour a day, children of Earth treatment. Right. I mean, I, I, it, that might have blown the budget and not been possible. Um, it did look uh, good in uh, HD. Um, the uh, the way that they'd turn London into a, a basic, uh, you know, smouldering heap uh, was very convincing. The um, the the way the uh, basically most of the parts weren't really very well uh, defined and realised, but there was enough of that to move the story along. I think the one weakness was. Uh, you weren't sure of placing the time elements of these things because, uh, you know, uh, I mean, for instance, Bill and Joe, you know, driving a car and the Triffids have got there before them. Yeah. And you're thinking, hang on, you know, <laughs> what's happening here? But yes, I enjoyed it. But I do love the John Dutteen uh, 1981 version. Yeah. And I do. I will also go further than in and I would also recommend um, if you quite like reading classic science fiction, Day of the Triffids by John Wyndon. It's a Penguin book. Hopefully, it's never been out of print, and um, it's definitely worth a read. Right. I think even now it'll probably make a reappearance because of this. Because I think it, in there seems to be a resurgence in things like you know, Survivors for one, these post-apocalyptic uh, uh, survivor-type stories. Because like, people know it might happen, matey. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there seems to be a big interest in those at the moment, and I, and so I, I can almost imagine that there's probably either been a reprint that's that's just recently come out because of this, or there there's one about to come out. So pick it up and uh, yeah, enjoy the actual story of which it's based on. Yeah. Oh. So to wrap up, uh, yeah. Ian wants me to give you some dates of upcoming shows. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Okay, well, on the t- uh, first of all, I hope you will uh, check back uh, on the Cultum Collective uh, uh, site, cultum.com. But the Torchu ID is 54821. Only earlier today, on the 3rd of January, 
as we speak, 2010. Can you believe oh, it? I'm we've done our right into that. <laughs> yeah, we've done our wrap-up show of um, the um, End of Time Part Two. That's the last of David Tennant's specials. Um, <laughs> so please give that a listen. With the two studio shows that precede that uh, that we did, we on the 10th of January, that's next Sunday, and this is at our new earlier time of 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that is 7 p.m. if you're in the UK GMT. Uh, we're doing staggering uh, deaths from the Digital Spy uh, then. The 17th of January, we're staying with Digital Spy and doing the Cult Spy Awards, but in January 24, on the 24th of January, we'll be doing this split one between Paradox, which uh, was another, it wasn't really a, a serial, was it? It was a, a multi-story, but only a, a six or eight episode. Right. I don't think it got a, I don't think it got a full, a full set yet, but I'm hoping it does because it's very good. But you'll hear more on that during yeah. the show. And plus, and- we Sorry, go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, and the second half of that show will be Day of the Triffids. We're hoping that all the people that can call in will have at least caught one of those two uh, science fiction programs. And if you're listening to this now and you're going to go watch one or both, uh, then feel free to come onto the show on the 24th and, uh, and give us your opinion. Yep. All right. I think it's time to close it out, Dave. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, another bottle of wine, I'm all out. <laughs> yes it's well, empty <laughs> well I hope we haven't been too revealing we did say at the beginning it was spoiler uh, and maybe you've actually watched the show and then decided to listen to this and maybe uh, you will concur with our views and if not come on the show 24th of January 2pm Eastern Standard Time talk to your ID 54821 where we'll be talking in the second half about Day of the Triffids 2009. Okay. Nothing more to say, but uh, good night from me. And it's good night from him. Geronimo! <laughs> oh, you great guy. Lovely. Bye, Dave. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.